Welcome to Everything Speaks If You Listen with Jen Cobbleworks, where we befriend our humanity and the sacred through story, soul questions, and everyday life. I'm your host, Jen Cobblewilhoit. There is no way to greet you except to acknowledge the extreme humanitarian crisis and existential heartbreak and the rending of our corporate fabric, our our common human fabric that is has not only been going on on our planet for a very long time but feels like it is escalating to a point of real teetering and beyond catastrophe. I don't greet you from a place of despair and hopelessness. I do greet you from a place of deep grief and deep concern. And there is fear and trepidation and worry and angst. There is also hope and light and a belief in repair and a returning or or at least a renewing of what needs to be renewed. But we're looking at our nature, our planet, and our human nature, our family of things, which are both connected, of course, unraveling in ways that are undeniable and undeniably painful. And to not, to not name that, to carry on as if that isn't the symphony that we're all hearing and witnessing and maybe even living in directly is just not honest or sincere. I just want to join you in lament and in deep hope that there are answers beyond tragedy, beyond vengeance, beyond violence, and that there is true cooperation that can happen. But we are looking at a manifold set of problems And it would be also irresponsible for me to dive in and pretend I'm an expert on world and environmental affairs that I am not an expert on. And we don't need to be individual experts to have our hearts broken and to have our hearts move towards repair. But we also don't, I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to spend this podcast giving you opinions and geopolitical and environmental science insights when I am not the I am not the font of that. That would be irreliable, unreliable sourcing. What I would like to invite you into this week is the naming of tumultuousness through um, parable, through myth, through folklore, and through personal experience as a way to help us also name our footing, our balance, our inner peace, so to speak. So I first want to say, when we talk about the concept of peace, we are often in the modern context, talking about this sense of stillness and tranquility within. And sometimes that gets, I I will say, corrupted, like morphed into a sense of an absence of conflict, which we can look at um, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who, who has reminded us in most vocally here in the United States in the modern era that peace is not the absence of conflict. And, and, and what he was speaking to is not only his own experience in oppressive systems and, and trying to create a revolution of accord and repair, but he was also speaking to the roots of what this 
concept and word is through a lot of human history. That peace is not something that is just uh, comfort and ease and a kind of emptiness where everything is just okay. Peace has a lot of roots in creating a bridge, creating a covenant, creating a intentional um, compa- compact, a contract, an agreement that is consensual and intentional on the edge of conflict in an effort to create a new edge of collaboration and community that doesn't dissolve into annihilation, but speaks of that tipping point of possibility where chaos can become something creative and generative and new and life-affirming. Something that honors the parties that are most experiencing the discord, the eruption. So peace is this, is this rewiring of the conflicting energy that on that horizon of where all of this discord is happening and intentionally trying to create paths and behaviors and, and ways of engagement so that that fiery, tumultuous energy gets turned towards something that is mutually agreed upon and and rooting and generative. And that is not seamless and it is not necessarily tranquil. I don't want to disparage the notion of tranquility and solitude and stillness. I do think it's important for us to be able to access those places within and, and around having a world, an inner world and an outer world that honors silence and quiet is a world that inner world and outer world that honors the fullness of life because stillness and quiet is a is a state where we can find deep connection and restoration we can find beauty we can find the kind of cell repair and and emotional rest and bodily rest and restoration in stillness and tranquility that awakens not just mending and repair within, but awakens the seed of creativity and wild imagination rooted within all of us, rooted within our original covenant with source, with spirit that says, you are a part of me, you are an extension of me, you are a reflection of me, you are an embodiment a unique expression of me and you are good and you are capable of creation and co-creation. And so in tranquility and stillness and quiet, we can sometimes hear and feel and repair those connections so that we can become in closer relationship with this um, creative fire that doesn't, uh, burn out into conflagration, but stirs into a kind of nourishing warmth and a, and a motivating spark and a gathering, uh, a, a kind of centering warmth the way a campfire might be. So no disparaging of the tranquility and the stillness definitions of peace. But it's important to also just recognize that, like so many things in life, there's a both and. And peace does have its roots. The word and the concept does have its roots in this frontiers, f- frontier-like um, edge of where everything looks like it's, and, and perhaps is, falling apart. And, and it feels world shattering and and peace is this intentional engagement with these energies with with a an intentional imaginative goal a covenant goal to redirect them towards something that is communally shared 
towards life and generation and hope and repair and amendment. And that does have discord involved. There's not a lot of silence in that, in that definition of peace. So what I want to offer you today is um, not, not just those two notions, but I, w- I want to name that when we say uh, everything's connected, or everything speaks if you listen, we're saying that the energy and the vibrations of violence and catastrophe, whether we're experiencing them immediately in our lives or not, or in different forms, I want us to remember that, you know, we, we live in this shared reality, but we all have individual realities too that, that are unique. And so we individually may be facing grief and challenge and loss that is just as catastrophic as what we hear about with earthquakes and war and wildfire and pandemic. We're, we're facing down, journeying with, linking arms alongside our own experiences of challenge and heartbreak. So when we are feeling our individual experience, our inner world becomes tight and chaotic at times. There is a, a defensiveness, an unguardedness that we experience in our nervous system and in our, our thinking and our heart. We tense up. It's just part of our biology. It's, it is the way of many, many living things. And when we are also experiencing or maybe only experiencing a periphery of challenge, say in the global sense, and maybe in our individual lives, we aren't, aren't feeling a lot of challenge right now. We are still experiencing the reverberations, the shared cacophony of cry and lament and loss that is going on in our family of things. It is in the air, it's in the soil, it's on the air. We cannot pretend that we are not connected to the human family, to human nature, or to the nature that we call this earth. And so when something affects in in a nervous system, global nervous system shattering way, we are going to feel it. And we will feel a similar kind of tumultuousness, a storminess within us. It, it may feel very natural to just say, I'm going to turn away from all of this and block it out. That's a natural response. I want to encourage us to go down a path, if we can, as we are capable of bearing this, to not build up a resistance to these reverberations of pain. That doesn't mean that I am suggesting just let everything come through, feel everything, completely move off center, allow yourself to be blown by the wind. Instead, I think there's an invitation here, and it's not an easy invitation, and I'm not speaking to you as somebody who's got it, okay? <laughs> this, you're, you're not listening to the podcast of some ascended master. You're listening to somebody who's slogging through on this journey with you, alongside you, trying, trying, seeking to hear the way, trust the way, walk the way. I think one of the easiest ways to describe what I'm inviting us into is through a story. And I'm going to do it in the typical way that I do it, which is to... um, (laughs) offer a synopsis of the story and then immediately kind of argue with it. (laughs) So uh, years ago, I had the opportunity of being able to meet the poet David White and and listen to him speak. Um, This is probably 22 years ago. 
And he told the story of, of working with a group of nuns who were going through a great amount of contraction in their, in their order, in their life. They were um, rebellious in a lot of ways against the, the church that they were a part of. They were trying to create systemic change. And they were also older women. They were old women. They were crones of the church. And, um, and there were not new initiates coming and there weren't a lot of people in the institution at that time that were saying, hey, these, these women are speaking wisdom that we need to listen to. They were really on a limb, so to speak. The, the waters were rough for them, and they were seeing an end to things. And they were working with the poet David White about how they could come to their own understanding of this. What were their next steps to be? You know, they just go throw in the towel. Like, what, what do they do? And he talked to all of us about the story he shared with them, which is the story of the, the, the one of the disciples, I think it was Peter, all of us, you know, just side note, does your brain do this? Like, I know this story so well. And now all of a sudden, a key part of the story, I can't remember. Sure hope it was Peter. If it isn't, I'll remember after the podcast and then be embarrassed, but whatever. So Jesus and, and the disciples are on this boat. And the water's nuts. It's raging. It's, there's a storm in the wind and the air. The sky is dark. There is no north star that can be seen in the skies. There is gale force winds. There is cold, deep water swelling up and splashing over onto this ship that they're on, onto this boat. And it's rocking the boat from side to side. And they were understandably so afraid. And they begged him to calm the waters so that they didn't have to be frightened anymore. And so that they also could survive. Who would, who would not want the waters to be calmed? And then we have this story of them in the boat on another occasion and they see Jesus out on the water walking on the water calming the water and Peter says basically you know I want I want to walk on water too like that's I, I want to be able to do this I want to be able to calm calm the universe I mean, you can you get you get the big themes here, right? Who wouldn't when they're in the seeing tumult in the universe, in the world, chaos, destruction, who would not have kind of an urge to be like, I wish I could calm that. I wish I could be the bomb for that. I wish I could settle that, those waters. I wish I could settle that. This isn't, I mean, it's a totally normal thing that Peter's asking. Like, I want to be able to do that. And Jesus says, well, step off the boat. Step off the edge of the boat and stand with me here. And he does. And he lasts about 0.2 seconds. And then he, boop, sinks into the icy water. Now, here's where we start to get into some of Jen's wrestling and wriggling with story. The next set of events that are often reported is that Jesus t tells him, you have ye of little faith. Okay, there's this like a phrase I grew up with all the time, ye of little faith. It, it was it's it's said in my experience as a disparaging thing. And that's how this story was taught to me. If you'd only believed more, dum dum, you would have been able to do it. But you don't believe enough, and so you can't. And you have no one but to blame for the stormy water staying stormy because you just don't simply believe enough. And as a kid, I was always like, believe in what? What am I supposed to believe enough in to make these waters calm down? Peter didn't have a problem believing in Jesus doing it. He didn't have a problem believing in Jesus being able to stand on the water he saw it. He believed it. That's why he wanted to be able to do it too. So what exactly are we supposed to be having faith in here in this story? 
personally, I have prayed with this story, meditated with this story for so many years that Jesus and I have rewritten it. <laughs> this is a, this is just a, a kind of Lexio Divina um, sacred imagination exercise I've engaged with for years. But the imagination, the sacred imagination practice I've engaged in with year for years with this story is that I say to Jesus, I don't, I don't understand what you mean by I don't have enough faith. What exactly does that mean? And so he invites me to walk off the edge of the boat again and again and again. It's not a one and done thing in my sacred imagination. We leap off the edge again and again and again. And that's what David White said he was telling these nuns. There's a leap of faith that I'm asking you to take. But understand that you, you may have to take the leap again and again and again. You're looking for one answer for this predicament, and there may be a revolution of answers, a repetition of, of attempts that create an answer. There may be time and time again before you get to either the revelation of what you're supposed to do or you gain some facility with leaping off the edge. So in my sacred imagination, what happens with me and Jesus when I step off the edge of this boat and often I sink, is he starts to ask me questions. What, what are these raging waters? Where are they? And I say, well, they're around the boat. They're everywhere. It's all this turmoil and chaos in the world. And he says, what about the waters inside of you? Where is your, what, what are your waters like? And I have to say, well, I'm afraid. My, my, I'm in a state of disarray as well. And so we try again, and this time we practice, how can I just calm my fear with the raging waters? How can I remember who I'm with when I'm on the raging waters? How can I essentially create some stillness within and calm those and, and calm that environment when I don't yet have the capacity and may never have the capacity to calm the environment around me? That, that becomes the invitation over and over and over again to me in this story. I've never gotten to a point where I can calm the waters and I've never gotten to a point where I can stand on the water. Another thing that happens when I continue to step off the boat and I start to center myself, I start to feel some calm in my own embodiment. I, I'm able to breathe. I remember my humanity. I remember my sacred center. I remember that I'm not alone. There's a boat. I have a sacred teacher with me, Jesus. I have friends with me on the boat. And I have also a memory and a remembrance that I don't have to just be on my feet on water. I have a back I can float on my back. I can be upheld and balanced on the water in a perhaps different posture than what I originally thought. The walking on the water seemed really cool. The calming of all of the water seemed amazing. But what if what I'm capable of is calming myself and then surrendering to a bigger surface of the water, lying down, so that I'm not trying to do what I know I'm not capable of yet. 
not capable of standing on the storm, not capable of quieting the storm, not capable of walking across the storm. But I am capable of over and over again making it a practice to recognize the storm, to recognize that it's affecting me, to do what I can to remember my sacred center and the sacred community with me so that I can find some peace within, some peace within, and then engage with the storm in a, in a way that I am capable of engaging with it. I, um, I woke up this morning thinking, uh, getting ready to go take a walk. I was thinking about how, you know, I'm the most inconsistent person on social media. I I find it so challenging to show up there every day because, well, it's just reasons. Anyway, and I, I was disgruntled and, and frustrated about different things. Um, my inner waters <laughs> were stormy. And so I, this is my invitation to um, calm my inner waters and go for a walk. And right before I went for a walk, I, uh, I got an alert on my phone. I was plugging in my headphones and it said, it was from USGS, the United States Geological um, society is it survey anyway the folks that manage earthquakes it was an earthquake alert i live in northern california take cover get in a doorway protect yourself earthquake alert i'm not native to the west i am accustomed to dealing with hurricanes lightning and a few tornadoes despite having been here over 20 years well over 20 years now um Earthquakes still, uh, I lose my footing, pardon the pun. I have an inner kind of calm, an inner peace that I can find in an East Coast thunderstorm or even a hurricane, even though I'm also experiencing fright and, and things like that, that is harder for me to, to immediately find when an earthquake is present. And um, I yelled out to my husband, earthquake alert, earthquake alert. I'm trying to like hold the dogs and stand in a doorway. And he said, he got in a doorway and we were near each other. And he said, where does it say that it is? And I said, I can't read without my glasses. I don't have my glasses. I don't know. And I could feel, oh, the inner, the, the inner shaking of my inner ground crumbling. I was, I was becoming incredibly frightened. And he said, I can read your phone with the glasses I have on. Just hand me your phone. I had forgotten immediately. There was no way to remember in that moment. I was so in such internal disarray that I didn't need to have my glasses on right then because I had somebody with me who knew how to read the message. And he read it and we stayed quiet. And then he was able to search and the epicenter, you know, wasn't too big of one. Um, the epicenter was far enough away. Time had elapsed. I went on my walk. And it was this frightening reminder that it's not just the stormy seas, like which we often equate with in myth and story with our emotions, but the very ground that we stand on gets shattered. The thing that we account for, for a sense of stability, it moves. And we look at things like words like mountains and earth and ground and we talk about concepts of inner peace and we talk about faith and spirituality we're talking about the, our our unshakable stayedness the thing that should never move the thing that is always dependable as solid and yet we know that even things that feel like they're unshakable are shakable and they do move under our feet 
And when they move under our feet and around us and blow and howl through the air, even if it's far away, our, our inner landscape shakes and blows and storms. What is important is that if we can make space, I believe if we can make space to understand that we are truly all connected and that turning away from the storm doesn't ever help us navigate the storm or calm our own inner storm, then we can start to ask deeper questions of ourselves around what could help. And one thing that I think always helps is remembering the sacredness of our own humanity and the sacredness of everyone's humanity. When we are frightened, when we are trembling, when everything is rocking and shaking within us and around us, we can become defensive and armored up, understandably. But there creates a distance between ourselves and ourselves, just internally, there is a distance with our own humanity. We feel only the storm of the fear and the anxiety and the dread. We cannot get above the cloud layer of our own inner experience and say, there may be a break in the storm. The storm may pass. I have the ability to be stable in these changing conditions. I remember who I am. I remember who, whose I am. I remember I belong to the family of things. I remember inherently I am not alone. I'm connected. When we remember that, we are affirming something of creation and goodness and light and life into our internal storm and into the external storm when we can remember our humanity and the humanity of others, when we can remember it as precious, as sacred, as unique, and as connective, connecting, connective tissue and connecting, that we're not alone, when we can remember that, we can remember some worthiness to ourselves and to the people in the world around us, to our shared life. And when we remember that worthiness and we remember that goodness and that potential for a creative peace edge rather than an edge of destruction, we are in the remembering, not only putting ourselves back together in some way, we are already beginning this bridge work of peace. We're finding a collaborative covenant edge of our own inner pain and inner conflict. But we are naming that collaboration and generation and creativity can and does exist even in turmoil. And if we can name it as true and something that we can feel and connect to in ourselves, then we, because we reverberate with everyone and everything, we can sing it out as a truth to the wider world. Does it, does, it in, does it stop the wildfire in its past? Does it stop the rocket blast? Likely no. But what happens if we are on the frontier of our own inner turmoil and the frontier of shared turmoil, and we cannot remember that we are worthy and good and lovable and loving and creative. Even if we are a whole bunch of other awful things. What happens is we don't just divorce ourselves 
from our humanity and divorce others from their humanity. We name humanity as a liability for survival, and then the only thing left on the table is domination and annihilation, and that is, isn't actually a survival technique. It takes, it takes courage. It takes attempt after attempt. It takes faith. It takes just trying. It takes a tiny grain of sand of hope to leap off the edge of something that into something that is stormy, feeling our own storminess of it and try to practice over and over again a close connection to our own humanity and try to remember who we are with, who is at our back and how we can engage in the storm in a different way. You know, a candle doesn't do a whole lot of good for anybody on a bright and sunny day. We don't need to light candles so much on bright and sunny days. We need them on dark and stormy days, though. And so when things are dark and stormy, remembering, remembering, our unbreakable covenant to love within and with each other is the beginning of working on a frontier of conflict and making it a frontier of creativity and collaboration. It, that cannot happen internally or in the wider world if we are separated and dislocated from our fundamental value and worthiness. So our reflection, the way we look back, becomes imperative because it invites a pause where we are gathering up our pieces and seeing that we have been shattered and we are putting ourselves back together which is a microcosm act of how we long to put together and make peace in the wider world. For those of us, which is maybe all of us, who cannot go into big government offices, do not have the power of a world stage, we can continue to speak of our own humanity and the humanity of others. We can continue to be a candlelight in that. And we can continue to try to step off that boat, step off into the storminess of our own fears and feelings and practice what it means to find some ground and calm and creative accord making within ourselves. If we cannot do peaceful accord making and creative repair within ourselves I don't know how we're going to be able to do it with one another so it is worthy to try to try at least for now I think I mean this is a small thing I'm talking about but friends remembering your humanity your preciousness tending to it And letting that be a song that helps you remember the humanity of everyone is a beautiful place to start and a wonderful way to help us learn how to stand on rough and raging waters and shaking ground. I, um... Hmm... I have like an extended invitation that I, it's almost embarrassing to say because it feels so pat in the face of things, but I do think it's, I do think it's really important. When we say everything speaks, that love is alive in all things and all beings, and, and alive invitationally in even objects and moments, interchanges. 
we have um, we have this powerful web that can help us remember our humanity and the humanity of others. That can help us maintain our candlelight in this storm. And um, and what it is is if we turn to what we know we love as an individual and spend more time with that and celebrate that and honor that and give give that attention and focus, give gratitude for it. When we can notice something that we find to be beautiful, enlivening, creative, glorious, just wondrous, something that puts us in a state of awe, we are giving, allowing ourselves to be fed. We're saying this thing is a thing that I love, a thing that I'm, I'm reverberating with. And, and we're essentially saying, we're admitting I'm reverberating with the cosmos right now. I'm, I'm in a dance with God, with spirit, with sacred. This thing is out there and I'm noticing this kindling inside of me. I can't help but smile or laugh at this. I can't help but go, God, that's beautiful. And at the moment that we allow ourselves to respond to beauty and to joy and to something uniquely in our lives, that we we give into it, we surrender to it, we allow ourselves to be smitten by it. The minute we fall over that, that edge, cascade over, step off that boat and go, that's, that's incredible. And, and put our hands and minds and eyes and bodies towards it. You're picking up the quilt to make the quilt, picking up the phone to call the friend, putting on the sneakers to go for the walk, pausing to take the photo, taking the deep breath of the wild fennel filled air, taking the, the moment to smell the soup that's on the stove, the time to chat with the neighbor, to go into the volunteer hours and, and see your community together and striving. When we turn towards these unique, everyday, ordinary invitations into love and connection, we are being nourished by them. And we are, our strength, our, our muscles, our spiritual muscles are being built our ability to weather internal storms is getting fortified. Our, our ability to hear beyond our fear. Our ears are growing. Our scent, our senses for the goodness in the world is becoming more acute, more sensitive, more developed. We are falling in love. When we allow ourselves to do that in real time, in everyday, ordinary ways... We are giving birth to a larger light and beauty and, and creative edge on behalf of the whole human experience. We are affirming over and over again there's something here worth celebrating and honoring and, and entering into mutual respect with. There's something here worth celebrating, worth cherishing. And we are naming that there is more to all of us, to each of us and to all of us than annihilation. Our response to beauty and to love, our falling in love, our engagement with our senses and our gratitude becomes a shared reverberation, a a shared vibration, a shared embrace, a shared kiss, a shared dance with the divine we plunge into the chaos of this world by falling in love, by plunging into love. There is more. There is more in you and more in me and more in everyone in this world and more in our collective human family and more in our earth than just a hell-bent destruction. And when we can remember that we are all aided by at least a spark of candlelight in the, in the darkness, but we are actually creating individually and slowly as a, as a community 
a consensual, collaborative edge of peace that used to be the edge of conflict. But that can't happen if we cannot be in relationship to the thing that makes it all worthwhile. And we can find what makes it worthwhile by engaging with what we love. So that's my, I hope it's not a rant. That's my offering this week. I want you, if you can, to, in your own, you know, in your own tradition, what what works for you, but where are you being asked to notice a wild-ass storm? Where are you being asked to not turn away from that noticing? Where, where and by whom are you being asked to notice what your own internal landscape and terrain and weather system is inside? How are you when you step off the boat? How can you go back to the boat and try again? Over and over again, can you try to just facilitate and nurture that muscle memory of building a sense of inner calm, a sense of of not taming, but collaborating with your own inner edges of conflict to find a new way with them, acknowledging them, but redirecting them, creating a kind of inner peace within. Can you recognize that we're, we're going to be doing this for a while? The reverberations of our collective experience are going to be affecting our internal weather, and we're, we're going to be invited to be accountable and responsible for our inner weather so that what we are giving back to the world is a creative edge of covenant peace and not a creative edge of vengeance and conflict. We're being asked to do this reformation inside of ourselves for the good of ourselves and for the good of, of everyone. And I'm asking you to maybe begin this process of finding your own inner ground by reflecting on when you felt unstable and shattered and when you felt upright or on your back, safely floating. So far today, I've already been shattered by an earthquake response (laughs) alert. And I've also been held upright by the person closest to me who said, "I, I can help in this moment. Who are your friends right now that can hold your hand on stormy waters, who have your back and who are on the boat? (laughs) How can you tend to your inner landscape, your inner terrain, your inner storm as best as you can, knowing it's a practice? It's not a one and done that you're suddenly going to just be inner peace, calm. And lastly, can you consider that this work of inner and outer peace could begin? I I bet there's infinite ways of how it can begin. (laughs) Infinite ways. But one way that we'll name this week, can you carry with you? What if you turn towards the beauty that was speaking to you, the love that was speaking to you and engaged in it? Would you notice a sense of resilience and hope and tenacity a faith in yourself and in humanity when you let yourself reverberate with and dance with the things that bring you alive would that create a font a font a source of deeper meaning and purpose that helps keep that candle that hope internal internal candle and hope alive for yourself and for others Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying this week myself. I'm thinking of what seeds I want to plant externally in the world. I'm trying to create peace accords and covenants within myself of reconciling places that are in conflict and in stormy weather with myself. Because I want to be able to bring that same energy to the world around me. And I am wanting to, I I am making a list this week 
of just a few things that I can weave into my week or my days or my weekend that feel creative and generative and exciting. Um, Trusting that they will nourish and feed me and make me naturally feel more hopeful and resilient for this world. And I invite you to do that too. Okay, speaking of repetition, I've probably just said like one simple thing and repeated it 9 billion times for 50 minutes. Oh, you guys know, it's never a straight path with me. I'm just not very straight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love you. I love that you're here on this planet journeying and walking and trying. I'm so sorry for what is tearing at your heart and I'm my heart is breaking with yours over what is going on around us and that we're all a part of in different ways. But I see you and my I'm keeping my light lit as best as I can, not just for me, but for you and for everyone else because you're precious and you're worth it and you're a part of this sacred fabric and I am so grateful that you are here with me helping me hold my hand as I stand on stormy water maybe you're on my boat getting ready to take your own leap I will be cheering you on holding your hand and saying you matter through all of it all right until next week my dearest friends love and hope to you Thanks again for joining me on today's podcast of Everything Speaks If You Listen. I really appreciate your time, your energy, your engagement. And if you liked or loved this podcast, it would mean a lot if you could rate it for me. Give it the old five-star review or the thumbs up or whatever your application asks you to do to say, I like it. And then if you could share it with a friend or family member that you think might vibe with it also, that would be great. I deeply appreciate the care towards the admin part of this kind of stuff in relationship, as well as you just tuning in. If you'd like to know more about me and my work, there are links in the show notes. You can visit me at jencobbleworks.com. Hang out and talk to me on Instagram at Cobbleworks or sign up for my newsletter where there are some stories and free comics and art and self-reflection worksheets given every month and lots of fun, deep email exchanges between me and you if you enjoy that. Thanks, friends. Take care. <laughs>